Well, we all live under authority, whether we like it or not. And even in the scriptures, it tells us in Ephesians uh, that we as husbands and wives, Ephesians 5.21, are to submit to one another. And so it's not just the wives and the husbands, but we're actually to submit to one another. The sooner we learn this valuable thing, the better off our marriages will be. But living under authority, it happens in, in, in day-to-day life. We're told in Romans 12.1 that we either live under the excuse me, Romans uh, 8, 1, I believe it is, that we live under the authority of government. And so we need to, we need to realize that. The sooner we can de- teach our children to realize that we live under the authority of even God and that we all live under the authority of God, we all have to give an answer that there's no absolute freedom out there where you don't have to answer to anyone. Authority is a way of life. If you serve on, uh, on a committee, there's a certain level of authority and chain of command. If you are on a team, there are ground rules, game rules that you need to uh, uh, abide by. That's a part of being on a team. If you work in a business, you'll probably have to sign a code of conduct that I'm going to behave this way. I'll not share information internally from our company and outwardly. So there's all lines of authority that we have to live under. And the sooner we learn that, the far better we will be in life. And our children need to learn that. As we're talking about parenting and parental guidance, the sooner our children learn that, the sooner they will learn the value of it, see the place of it, see their role in it, and grow in and to appreciate that. Now, in your house, I'm assuming there are certain house rules that you have. Everyone has different house rules, but maybe there's some common ground that we have. I'm not talking about necessarily house rules or what's your curfew versus my curfew or you know how, how what's your internet policy in your house and how do you handle the phones in your house that could be child by child home by home but there are certain buckets very important buckets that we establish in our home as house rules and so i want to give you some of the mcdaniel house and i'm sure you will identify with some of these in your own home but these are just who we are one of those is disrespect disrespect is just not allowed of authority of 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 a mother to father or 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 husband to wife there is a level of respect we treat everyone with respect children treat adults with respect adults should treat children with respect and so even as we live out our life there there must be a level of respect through and through now parents do not confuse disagreement with disrespect uh, sometimes parents get into that and they think that you're disagreeing with me, you're not respecting me. Actually, you want them to be critical thinkers. You want your children to be able to process through life and to come out through a strong leader, independent thinker. And so allow them to challenge the process from time to time if they do it in a respectful manner and then you can talk it through work it through you are still the ceo they may never agree but do you always agree with your boss on your workplace no but eventually you have to respect that decision and and, and move ahead with it so that's one number two is disobedience we just don't have it we don't allow it if we have it we deal with it and we deal with it as as early as you can you deal with disobedience uh, as early as you can, and, and, and you get in there. Now, I know that your children will say the older they get, and you want to look at their history on their, on, their, on their computers, or you want to keep them accountable in some areas. They'll say, don't you trust me? 
That's a common phrase. I used that phrase back in the 1900s whenever I was growing up. So I know your children are using it here in the 2000s, in the new millennium. And, uh, but you know what? It's kind of, I'm not saying we're like the, the Russians or we're, they're like the Russians and Reagan. Reagan said, trust but verify. And so I think you trust, but you still verify. Now, if you want to be the Russians, the communist home, do go ahead and do that. That's your prerogative. Dishonesty is the third one. And that one is just dealt with very quickly at a very young age. And as soon as we catch them in a lie, we had a phrase, and you could go to any of our three children, and they'll hear this phrase, and they can repeat you and tell you exactly what it means. But we called it double trouble. So if you did something wrong, broke a house rule, did something, then there was that infraction. But if you then tried to cover it up, deceive, and lie about it, that's a whole nother infraction. If you come clean on the front end, you only have to deal with one level of discipline. But if you have been disobedient on two fronts, dishonest and disobedient over here, breaking a house rule, then you're in double trouble. And as early on, that our kids knew that whenever you meant double trouble, that meant if you deserve two swats, and yes, I did practice and we practiced spanking, and we'll talk about that. Some of you will tune me out right now from that, from that point forward. We'll talk about that more if you'll hang on. Um, to a certain age, I think it's appropriate. But if, if you did an infraction and it was two swats, all of a sudden now you're getting four. And if it was three, now you're getting six. And we explained it to them. Now, I'm, I'm not saying every single time. <clears throat> I'm saying that once we realized that we cannot discipline out of our emotions, that we had to back away, calm down, rash, get rational in our minds, think it through, send them the, to their room, let them think it through, and come back out with the meeting of the minds, then we could level-headed explain this is one infraction, this is another infraction, both have got to be dealt with. And uh, it was a most beneficial thing. I'll tell you this. We have had one of the most honest homes with our children because of that rule right there of the double trouble rule. So the dishonesty, however that's going to be dealt with in your home, you've got to be ready to deal with it. What are your house rules? Write them out. Talk about them. Because if they're not known, then when they break them, did they really break them intentionally? So really good communication on this is important and understanding what the repercussions are important. Now, let me say this, just as a child of a blended family, uh, if you are in a blended family situation or uh, a, a part of that in any shape or form, let me give you a big warning here. Blended family children are smarter than you think, and they know how to play one set of house rules against another set of house rules. They know how to play a stepmom, a stepdad against a stepmom and a stepdad. And so you have to, as a home, as a husband and wife particularly, come to an understanding of this is how we're going to communicate. These are the rules. And if you can get the other side of the fence to get on the, on the same page and agree, I would say outside of the ears of the child, that is far better. And then you are one unified uh, voice coming to the table, dealing with discipline uh, on, on the front end as much as you can. Now, why do we talk about discipline, the big D word? Why would we even want to go there and talk about that? Because it's a part of life. It's a part of life on a couple of different fronts. I want to talk about two presuppositions that I come to the table with today about children and about parenting. 
The first presupposition is about your little beautiful children that are perfect and innocent. Children are fallen, broken, and sinful from birth. And if you just now are realizing that, welcome to real life, all right? If this is the first time you've heard this, but even David said of himself, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are all enter into this world broken, lying, cheating, stealing, self-centered people. And you don't teach your children to lie. They just lie. you got to teach them the truth. And that is just the reality. There's a theological basis for that. And it's just one of those that is there. It's just the reality. Okay, number two uh, presupposition I come to is that children were given to parents to be trained to the truth. We're going to talk about training, but I want to talk about truth. We gotta have a direction. Remember what we talked about in this series of messages? This is intentional parenting, not ideal parenting. We're throwing that out the window. We're gonna deal with intentional parenting. Where are you leading your children? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Truth is not a philosophy. It is not an idea. It is not an opinion. It is a person. And so, therefore, I want to angle, steer, point, have a true north, and that true north being Jesus Christ, and hopefully, prayerfully, his, my children's lives will point in that direction and come out on the other side. But because we're fallen, because we're broken, you're broken, I'm broken, our children are broken, we're going to raise broken children in a broken world, we're going to have to really be intentional about getting our children in this direction. Now... I've heard this verse used and abused, used, overused and underused. Uh, you've heard the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's in Scripture. And you'll hear people who are strong-armed, strong-fisted kind of parents want to use that verse and drive it home to the parents or, or, or for their own, uh, I guess, benefit. But here's what it says in Proverbs 13:24, the entire verse. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, there's an entire message in that one last phrase. Let's just break it apart. Loves. It comes. It should bubble up. There should be an emotion of love, not of anger, not of disappointment, not of whatever that drives out discipline. It should be love that brings it to the surface. Your children, and there will be plural children in some people's homes, and plurality of discipline will be there. Careful, careful, mindful of how you're disciplining them. I'll talk more about that as I reveal some of my own failures in a little bit. And then discipline them. Now, you can break apart each one of those little phrases. But evidence of a good parent, a parent who really loves their children, is a parent who will discipline their children. Now, what is discipline in my own little life principle definition? It is I love you too much to let you go this path. Again, sometimes you as parents, and your children don't realize this, but you have such wisdom because you were so foolish at one point. And that you're bringing content to the table that really makes good sense. But they don't see it that way. And so make sure you're doing this in love. Now take your Bibles, find the book of Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at a passage today that actually isn't talking directly to parents in the house today. 
It's actually, in its very original intent, is a, is a, is a dialogue, if you will, of just encouraging, reminding believers that we have a God who is our Father who is intimately our Father and intimately wants to be involved in your life, and a part of that being involved in your life is discipline. So what we're going to look at is this passage, and we're going to take a class today from our Father, our Heavenly Father, and how He disciplines, and hopefully we can kind of find that motivation, that kind of direction, that kind of path to hopefully be able to discipline our own children. All right? And just by looking. So there's really just a, there's a parallel message here. There's our Heavenly Father is disciplining you and I if you're His children. And John chapter 1 verse 12 points out that if you receive Him, then you are called His children. So well, there's that track. So if you're here today and you're not even a child, you're not even a parent or anything of the such, and you're not even looking down the road, listen, this message is still for you. It's how God the Father relates to you in your life. But then if you're a parent in this room, let's learn from our daddy. Let's learn from our father, our perfect father and God the Father, and how to be a better parent in this. Nine different times he uses the word discipline in this passage. Let's read it really quickly. Uh, Verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, this is from Proverbs, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, notice all the time, circle the words, disciplines in your Bible, the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what? Uh, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's almost like a rhetorical question here. I mean, it's unheard of that if you are the son or a daughter of, and you have a father who's engaged in your life, there is going to be an element of discipline. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, you have an earthly father who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Nine times in that passage the word is translated discipline. Very key phrase here of how Father God disciplines his children. Okay, that make up this room. But how can we learn from Daddy? What are some motivations that we can learn that should be the motivating factors in our discipline? All right? So here, let's hit them real quickly. Number one is there's a perspective of discipline. I think this is a motivating factor. Why should discipline be in the home? There's a perspective behind that that makes it, that makes it up, if you will. And if you, if you look at this, he said... Not to regard lightly or be weary. He said, my son, do not regard 
think about, perceive, have the perspective of lightly looking at discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. So really he paints out two perspectives here. He says there's one end, that discipline is kind of a light thing. It's kind of overlooked. It's kind of insignificant. It's kind of not there. I just reason with my children. I just talk it over with my kids. And there's a place for that. There's absolutely a place for them understanding what you're going through and what's about to happen or what, what, what we're talking about here and the rules that have been broken. But don't go so far over here that all you do is talk. And all you do is just whitewash it. All oh, the kids will be kids and boys will be boys. And, and just letting that so cute. Because what is cute now will be absolutely horrific when they're a teenager. So don't do it lightly. But they don't swing the pendulum over here either. Don't do it where it's a wearisome thing. A heavy-handed thing. An abusive thing. Where it absolutely breaks down the spirit of the individual. Discipline should break the will, but not the spirit. You're going to hear me kind of keep coming back and forth to that. So when you're looking through the lenses of weary, then you find this mean, ogre kind of person, spare the rod, spoil the child, likes to quote that, and wants to let you know that this is all about their power play in your life. This person over here, they just think it's just... You know what? It's just all cute and hugs and kisses and positive affirmation, and that's going to fix everything. Where is it? It's somewhere in the middle. It's not a problem. It's not either or. It's going to be both and. It's a tension that you're going to have to manage. Punish or discipline is a tension you have to manage. You're going to have to stand in between these of helping to make sure you're rationalizing, reasoning with them. At the same time, there may be some times that it's going to inflict some, some pain. And how do you manage those two? Well, I picked up something in the, in the process of studying through, for this ser- series of messages about series and phases in, in parenting. So I want to kind of give you some of some of these. And again, this is a paradigm. This is totally free. You can take it and rewrite it and do your own. This is not in Scripture, so I'm going to kind of separate the two out. This is not the Scripture side. This is maybe the, the psychology side or philosophy side of parenting. But I think it does pertain to having a proper perspective on discipline. So let's talk about discipline uh, phase one. It's kind of that birth or that one-year-old to, to eight-years-old. And this is where you have to establish in the heart and in the mind of your child, this is right and this is wrong. This is yes, this is no. And if there's any ambiguity with your children of what your yes means and your no means, get ready, that cute, cuddly three-year-old won't be it when he's 13 years old. They will push They will disrespect, they'll break the obedience, everything imaginable can happen. So don't go that, don't, don't, uh, you've got to establish what is the right and wrong. At this point in time, it can be appropriate to use a spanking. Now, I know that's unpopular, I know that's going out of vogue. I know to even be a foster parent, you can't, or an adoptive parent, you have to go through all kinds of training on that. We've gone through that. Understand that. There's an appropriate time and place for that. And I'm just saying to myself, I think it's in Scripture, but also James Dobson says it like this, corporal punishment is reserved specifically for moments. Now notice how he defines it. 
moments of willful, deliberate, on purpose defiance. Very clear phrase there. By a child who's old enough to understand what he's doing, challenges to the authority will begin at approximately 15 months. So, very early. Okay? Months of age. It should be met with a loving firmness, a thump of fingers, or a, a single stinging slap on the upper legs will be sufficient. Just so you can establish, you must listen to me. And being able to do that when they're a young child is important, a very important age. Let me say this to parents who are in that age range. If you've got children in this age range, this is the hardest years. If you do this well, or at least we found it to be true, if we do this well, this age period well, it makes the rest of it okay, all right, and tolerable. Because if your children know right from wrong, yes means not, yes means yes, no means no. And if you establish that with them in those early years, then they will remember that on end. Now, they may test it, but they will have, a, have it uh, very much established in them. Training is the second phrase, second, I guess, p- time period. Now, how long is spanking appropriate? Again, you can ask any, any number of people. Dennis Rainey, a very respected family counselor on Family Life Today, says that by about eight, that's an appropriate time. But, and he also goes on to say this, he said that most parents who are attentive to their children, know their children, they will spank their child one more time than they should have. And it needs some explanation to that. One more time? What do you mean by that? Because if you're attentive to their spirit, you will know when you've crossed the line. You'll know, okay, this now went from discipline and training to now I'm breaking their spirit. Now I'm humiliating them. It's time to back off. It's time to find a new method. It's it's now time to find a new way to communicate right and wrong. In this age period. You're setting up them up for life because they're socially in school now. They are on teams now. They're, they're at church in classrooms, going to camps now. They're do, doing different things. So you're also setting them up to know what is right and wrong spiritually. And they're also connecting with God at this age time. So very critical time period. George Barnes said like, said like this. Do you, do you know that the moral values of people are generally decided by the time they reach the age of nine? Did you know that what uh, that our foundational spiritual beliefs and commitments are typically ingrained by the age of 13? Were you aware that the relational habits and patterns are pretty much modeled by the age of 13? Molded by the age of 13. So what do we have here? We have we have this this time period, this window of time. Right up until puberty, right up until this going through this change biologically in life, that's very critical to setting them on a straight course spiritually, emotionally, physically processing through life. Which leads me to the next stage. It's the coaching years. This is when they become teenagers. This is whenever they quit listening to you, mom and dad, as much as they listen to their peers. But if you've done the first stage as well, then you will have them equipped for the next stage. And this is a natural progression in life. It's not that they're disrespecting you. It's that they're growing up. They're growing out of the house. They're getting ready to launch. In some cultures of the world, they're launching at this age, believe it or not. They're marrying at this age. 
And so there's, there's a little bit of a, a cultural taboo. Now, during this age, discipline takes on different looks. I can tell you the time at this time uh, when Jordan was a, a teenager, and all these stories have been, been okay to be, in, be giving out today. And so at, at, at a time when she had her type A-driven strong-willed temper in the house, and we told her to do something. She broke, broke a rule, and so she went back to her bedroom, and she slammed the door behind her. And so I follow right back as calmly as I could, and I said, now, Jordan, no, we're not going to do that. Da, 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 da. We had a, a little talk about that infraction. I left, and then another day later, she does the same thing again. Second time, there wasn't a warning. I got my little uh, screwdriver, I went to the door, I popped out the hinges, and a teenage girl lost her door for a week. Now, that was an embarrassment to her, that was humiliating in her frame of mind, but she laughs about it today. She knew there was another time, I'm picking on Jordan today, and so there's another time where Jordan had a plethora of clothes, and she couldn't decide what she was going to wear, and this was a common thing, and, 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 but it came off the hanger really easy, but it had a hard time getting back on the hanger and back in the closet, and, and, and clean clothes would be shoved under the bed, and it was just a, it looked like a disaster, so Lori was working with her through that process, and finally, enough's enough. So, Jordan, you get to pick out two sets of clothes. That's it. Two sets of clothes. We're taking all your clothes and locking them up. And you get to have, for one week, two sets of clothes. You have to come home and wash the one set because the next day you're going to have to wear the next set. And so it was a, it was a rotation. Oh, that's, how, that's so humiliating. And what will my friends say? You know what? We never had to worry about that again. This is a process of discipline. It is a behavior modification thing that you're going to have to get into them, and it's a coaching period of time. And also in this period of time, you're helping them to see a future. You're helping them to think in the ninth grade about, hey, my grades matter because they'll help determine if I go to a college or not. And so these are important years to help your children uh, and to become their coach. You're not their fixer. They're going to make mess-ups, mess and they're going to have to live with a lot of those mess-ups themselves. All right. Uh, quickly, uh, though, we're going to move on. Uh, mentoring years. This is where it gets fun, all right? Mentoring years is whenever they turn 20s and 30s. Now you're moving. Some of y'all are in this mentoring years right now. You're not married or you're going to get married. You don't have children. And you're in the 20 to 30 years. And this is whenever a parent can become that mentor. You're buying your first home, your first car. You're, you're signing contracts. You're negotiating jobs. These are fun times for parents if you've done the first part well. And then you become their kind of their mentor in life. You can help set up a family budget. You can talk them through a lot of cool things in life. The last one is the friendship years. And the friendships is where you go on vacation together and you enjoy life together and you raise children and grandchildren together. And that's some fun times. However, if you don't do the first part well, this part doesn't look so good. You have your kids leaving the house. They don't want to come back. They don't want anything to do with you. There's bruises. There's wounds. And they're ready to move on. So the teaching that we're going to have to make, the perspective on, on discipline, is it's going to change over time. It's going to be something that we're going to manage, but we can't, can't go too hard and we can't go too soft. It's going to have to be somewhere in the middle. Here's the second motivation. Pain. The pain of discipline. Now, I hate to say that, but there is pain in discipline, and you can't get away from that. Verse 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. You have to know that when Adam and Eve were kicked from the Garden of Eden, it was painful. It wasn't just because they were from the Garden of Eden. It was because woman would now have to bear children in 
pain. And that that was a result of sin. That the man would provide for his home by the sweat of his brow. Painful. There is pain related to discipline. And there will be pain in our children's lives and in our lives when we live in disobedience. Even in verse 3 where it says there, uh, excuse me, in verse 7. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. Now, you go up just a few verses prior to this in verse 3, and it's speaking of Jesus going to the cross. Consider him who endured for, from sinners such hostility against himself. What a gospel moment here. When we realize that the pain that we endure is somewhat a reflection of the pain that Christ endured on the cross. That there's a pain element whenever I'm disobeying God's promises and laws and precepts. There's a pain element whenever our children disobey. There needs to be a pain element. And what that pain looks like, feels like, may be different, again, from child to child and from circumstance to circumstance. You finish this phrase for me. No pain. That's not in Scripture. But we know it to be true in our life. And we have to think about Pain as that. Dennis Rainey said this, and I really wish I could really develop this. He said, a spanking or discipline in a home is a measured amount of pain administered with instruction intended to modify behavior. Good definition, okay, for what comes our way with discipline. It's in our life to modify our behavior in the way we live our life. All right, let's go to motivation number three. Motivation number three is the proof of discipline. What does discipline prove? It proves that you're loved. It proves that you're loved by God. Don't take my word for it. It's exactly what he said in verse verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. It is a proof that he loves you. It's a proof that you love your children when you discipline them. I can tell you this. I've disciplined my children in fits of emotion of my own self before. And when that happens, you know, whenever the infraction happens and I quickly go through my rage and I, and I blurt out and I say things and I, and I may spank out of anger instead of out of a controlled self. And then when I do that, you know what I do with my children? I build up a wall. Because they see not the discipline as a proof of love, but they see it as a rage of emotion. But whenever I've learned this over my mistakes, whenever I back away, send them their their room to think about it, I go to my room and think about it, and we come out maybe 30 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe a couple hours later until I calm down, think it through, and we can sit down and have a conversation about it, and then the discipline comes thereafter, I don't build up walls. I build a level of relationship. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But there's a proof of love. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 12 says, The Lord reproves him whom he loves. There's also proof of that we are related. All right? I have a relationship with God Almighty. And it, it proves that verse 7, last part of verse 7, it says, And God is treating you as sons, for what son 
is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Wow. You actually, if there's no discipline in your life, if you can live in rageous sin, if you can go on about your life and feel no sense of conviction, no sense of accountability before God, I don't fear for the world around you. I fear for your soul. A proof of your relationship with God is the fact that He steps into your life and He convicts, He deals with, He doesn't let you go on doing your own thing. The same it is with your own children. Again, what is discipline? It's that stepping in front of them saying, Hey, listen, I don't want you to go down this path anymore. If you do, you're going to be a train wreck. This is not going to be a good thing. You remember last week's message? Hophni and Phinehas? You remember their story and how they lived in sin and and how they just kind of walked away from God and Eli? and What what, what did we read last week? 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to judge the family forever because of the iniquity he knows about. The father knew about the sin. His sons were defiling the sanctuary, and he has not stopped them. So a, a, a not disciplining is not a good sign for you or for your children. Number four, the fourth motivation is the pleasure. The pleasure of discipline. They sound like an oxymoron, but there's a pleasure that hopefully comes on the backside. In the moment, it's not, it's not fun. It's not pleasant for anybody. Kids, I promise you, it's not pleasant for your parents. But verse 10 and verse 11 point to the pleasure that comes through it. Discipline us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems to be painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. A peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, that's where discipline should come. Or that's where discipline should end up, is that your children are walking a little clearer on a moral path, on a moral compass. I didn't say this back a few moments ago. I'll see if I can find it in my notes so I can read it exactly. But whenever, um, whenever a child, when a teenager is reported who feel close to their parents or other respected adults were the least likely to engage in any in any high-risk behavior studied, such as sexual intercourse, uh, use of drugs, alcohol, and tobacco, when there is a relationship in the, in, in the discipline, whenever there's that connection and the beauty is coming out on the other side, and you're embracing them on an emotional level. I've got three questions, and I'm finished. To kind of test yourself according to Scripture as a parent. One question, does your discipline cause your child to lose respect for you? Now, you can tell your children, point your bony little finger at your children and say, you've got to respect me, kid. You know what? You're just asking for, for trouble. Respect doesn't come because you dictate it. It comes because it's inside of you and it comes out. I respect you. I choose to respect you. But if there's, a, if there's an infraction in there and there's, there's only a breakdown, in that, then we have a problem. Notice this verse. He says, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. 
Because somewhere distance, maybe weeks, maybe it's months, whenever your child, after going through that period of discipline, looks back and says, thank you. Thank you. And again, maybe not in that moment, they're not going to like it. It's not going to be pleasant. Rick Ferguson said it like this, a former pastor, gone to be with the Lord uh, in, out of Denver, has two sons in our church, Brett and, and uh, Justin, said this, you will have to spend a lot less time working on your child's bottom if you spend more time working on your child's heart. There's a lot of power in that statement. Number two. Second question. It's actually number three in your notes, but you can make it adjust it. Does your discipline leave your child trained or bruised? Notice what, where's discipline supposed to be going? It's supposed to be going in the last part of verse 11. A peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If your discipline is emotional release from you onto your children to share your authority over them, then wrong. If your discipline is actually used as a training mechanism where you are bringing them along in, in a non-emotional way, but a very firm way, then that's a good thing. This word train is the Greek word, gymnazo. We get the word gem from this word. When you walk out of your gym, when your children walk out of the gym of your home, will they be trained for life? The last one. Is does your does your children does your discipline cause deep seated anger? Deep seated anger, probably the verse of the Bible that deals more directly with parenting in a very in your face kind of way is Ephesians chapter six verse four. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but notice this: bring them up in the training. There's that word again. And instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate your children. Now, Caleb, a number of years ago, wrote me a letter. And I kept this letter. And it is not a pleasant letter that a teenager would write to his dad. It was a very convicting letter that he wrote me. Whenever he told me in a very frank way, that dad, and I'm translating, I'm not going to read it. It's an embarrassment. He said, Dad, you're killing me. You're hard driving, pushing, killing me. Kind of, kind of letter. It was convicting. I kept this letter, and I've stored this letter in my nightstand. Just, just as a, a little bit of a reminder Am I making this child like me and like I want them to be? Or am I just training them and letting them become what God, who God wants them to be? And it was, it was about that same time that we had John Trent come. If you remember some years back, John Trent did a, did a, did a talk on, on different animal styles of personalities. And, and basically, I'm a, I'm a lion and Caleb is a golden retriever. Literally what happened in this relationship as a result of this letter, Caleb and I start going to counseling. First Caleb goes, because I'm thinking it's Caleb's problem, not my problem. He needs counseling. And, and then the counselor calls me in. And then we do this personality inventory and come to find out in a very quick, if I can sum it all up, in a very quick way, I'm a lion, he's a golden retriever. And in that, 
created this tension between us. I was a hard-charging lion. He was a loyal, faithful, relational retriever. and created this tension. And I learned his personality, and I learned to appreciate his personality. I learned he was different than me. I was going to have to like things differently than him. And we grew together. And he wrote me another letter. He wrote me a letter, and he gave it to me. On the day we took him to West Point. I'm not going to read this letter either. It's very personal, but I want to read the first sentence. It says, I have always... He has horrible penmanship. <laughs> I will continue to look at you as my leader, my guide, my mentor, and my friend. That letter is also being kept. I want my children to grow up with a father who was firm and had discipline and had direction, but also is their friend, is their mentor. Parenting is not easy. You get married and that's hard enough. Then you start having children. That gets even harder. Somebody said like this, parenting is like holding a bar of soap. You squeeze it too hard, the soap shoots out of your hands and you chase it around the bathtub. (laughs) Or you hold it too soft and it slides out of your hand. It's somewhere in the middle that you parent your children. Would you pray with me? Somewhere in the middle is where God is wanting to parent you. He is your father and he is disciplining you so that a fruitful righteousness will come out of you. Will the discipline be painful? Yes, it most definitely will. He knows exactly where to strike us, where to make the greatest impact on us. And the best thing we can do is not resist it, but embrace it. Lean in on it and say, yes, Father. I want to pray for you. I want you to be open to God and what he's doing and reconciling your heart to his. Because if you're in this room today and you do not know him as your father, that is a horrible place to be. Because as we read in his word, not to be disciplined by God is to be an illegitimate child and not a son. The Bible says if you'll receive him, you can become children of God. I'm going to be hanging out here at the front. If you want to know what that means and looks like, come see me. Eric will be out here. This is your time. Father God, take this moment. Change our hearts and our lives. Help us to become better parents like you are to us. But help us to become better children to you as our Father. We bless you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, would you stand and sing with us?